Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Um, season two of uh, Coach Jeremy's podcast. This season, we're going to be called The Awakening. So season two, The Awakening has now begun. Um, so as I mentioned last season, I'm super excited because uh, this season I'm going to have a co-host and uh, we're going to talk a little bit and introduce him here. But uh, again, he's going to bring a lot of value. I'll, I'll let him introduce himself and then we'll talk a little bit about how we know each other and how this all came to be. So co-host, <laughs> Mr. Darnell. Hey, everybody. <laughs> kind of give a rundown of, of, uh, of who you are and, and maybe share from your experience how we got to this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, name's Darnell DeBrule. Uh, I do commercial real estate as a, I guess a full-time job. It's not who I am, but it's what I do. Um, shoot, we've known each other. I keep telling everybody since high school, cause that's really a either, pretty much. Yeah. Just about high school or just outside of high school. We got to know each other. Um, and ran into you, well, this would have been last year, right before the pan or during the pandemic. It was it was summertime, wasn't it? Ran into you at Gracie's. Somehow you mentioned you were trying to get a podcast off. And I'm like, oh, well, hey, if you got any questions, just hit me up. Yeah. I can uh, help you with that. So then a couple months went by. And I think I was dragging my feet. Yeah. In January of this year, January, I sent you a message on uh, Facebook and was asking, Hey, did you ever get that podcast started? And you replied, Hey, I've been thinking about that. (laughs) So (laughs) he called me out. He called me out. So, so yeah, so Darnell and I have known each other for, I'm close to, I don't know if I want to date us. 20, 25 years. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. quite a long time. Um, Darnell was always kind of the quiet, suave, sitting in the corner. He, you know, he didn't say a whole lot, but you know, there was a lot of things going on upstairs. And and uh, and we kind of just knew each other from like, what, pickleball and then... Um, mutual friends. Mutual friends. Yeah. And then at the club, you know, I remember you, you and your your uh, best uh, best friend, you know, kind of just always come together and chill and kind of did your own thing off to the side of us and stuff. But, but yeah, so it, very interesting how life has turned around. And, and so I didn't really ho- know a whole lot about you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, after years and years, it's kind of interesting, the synchronicities. And so that's, I guess that's very fitting for this, this season of the yeah. podcast, because when we talk about the awakening, we are going to talk a lot about the uh, synchronicities of life and the way things kind of unfold. Yeah. So, um, as we jump into this, um, <clears throat> this season, as well as this episode, again, we want to put out there a disclaimer that, as we share our stories, as we share our experiences, we never have the intention of trying to vilify anybody or make anyone feel like bad or horrible or we're pointing the finger, right? There's things that we all have done and we're going to talk about that stuff, even things that we've done uh, that has hurt other people because that's kind of part of the process, You know, you can't, you cannot go through life unscathed of being hurt and you can't go through life unscathed of hurting somebody, you know, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. So as a disclaimer, as we go through this, we talk about our different experiences because we're going to get pretty deep and share a lot of personal things and, and really kind of be open and vulnerable, uh, with, with our life and our experiences. So, uh, we want to make sure that we put it out there for any loved ones, any friends, any family members that are listening to these things. Again, this is just our perspective, our experiences, how we've interpreted the information and those experiences and how we've deciphered and used them for as much growth as possible. And again, so it's not, we're not pointing the the finger of judgment. We're not going to, we're not doing this with the intention to make someone feel bad or vilify them in any perspective or any scope of the imagination. So, um, so again, wanted to feel that that's important to, uh, to add that out there and yes. as we, as we kind of move forward, because this, uh, this season is going to be exciting and, and a lot of raw material moving forward. So um, Darnell, why don't we start off 
kind of telling, share a little bit more. So you kind of mentioned that you, you're in commercial real estate, but maybe give us an overview, like a little bit of your upbringing, like what were some of the basic foundation principles that you were, you're raised on and, and kind of how did you get to this point or, or actually not this point, but how did you get to the point, the breaking point of where <laughs> you were like, Hey, there's something more to this life than just what I've been doing up yeah. to this point. So I grew up in a, I guess you'd call a traditional Christian home. You know, I've all growing up, went to private school, private Christian schools, um, grew up in Delaware. So went to Wilmington Christian School in Wilmington, Delaware, moved to Utah, went to Intermountain Christian School. So I I don't have that public school experience. Um, everything was like a bib- biblically based curriculum, you know, going to church all of my life. Um, that's my upbringing. That's that's my family. That's uh you know, just, it's just, you did, that's what you did, you know? And then, you know, you, you, you get out there in the world and, and in a way have having been sheltered to some degree, because, you know, I didn't experience, you know, I didn't go to a school where, Hey, there are people getting into drugs or drinking that just was a foreign, much more controlled environment. Yeah. Yeah. It was foreign to me. I mean, dang, we couldn't even, I think it was like my junior year or senior year. They finally allowed us to wear jeans to school. Yeah. Uh, so you even had your clothes dictated to you. Yeah, Well, just it, not like some private schools like judge where you got to wear Navy blue slacks with this particular polo or something like that, but more you couldn't wear jeans Yeah, and you had to wear a collared shirt. So it was free in that sense. <laughs> but, you know, that was that was how I grew up, you know, until I turned 18. And then, you know, off to college I go. Uh, that was an experience, you know, flunked out. So let me ask you, up to 18, <laughs> you know, we just got done with the season behind the mask talking about ego and what our social masks were or are. What would you say for you, what were kind of some of those masks that you are now more aware of the the roles that you played and how did those masks kind of show up? Well, you learn growing up and going to, you know, schools like that, you learn how to put on a mask for whoever you're around. So there's the, hey, school teachers, there's the anybody associated with the school select other students in the school. Um, you, you, you learned how to, uh, give us some examples though. Cause, cause there's probably a lot of listeners that haven't had that experience. So like, like specifically to well, you though, like what, well, what was the mask that you wore in high school? Like if someone would see you now versus back well, in high school, what would they say about you? Well, I'd be honest that I, I would say more of my masks showed up after high school. <laughs> okay. When I was out in the, the real world, um, you know, if I look back at high school, I would just say I was naive. You yeah. know, I didn't really know what was going on. I'm sure my ego was at, at work, um, but I had no clue. Um, you know, it, it was when I got out of high school and was able to experience more of the world that. So in high school, you didn't hang your hat on being an athlete, being a good student, like none of that. Yeah. Well, definitely really not being a good student. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. Um, uh, you know, I played sports because I just like playing sports, mm-hmm. you know, played basketball, soccer, baseball. Um, but yeah, it, it, the schools weren't big enough where you're like, oh, you're the jock. It was like the schools were small enough where you did everything. Yeah. I, I sang in the choir. I played two instruments, you know, a trombone and a saxophone. Wow. Um, I played. So we had bells that we used to ring bells and like a bell choir. I played in that, you know, wow. so I'm learning all sorts of new <laughs> stuff about Darnell. <laughs> so. So it was school was so small. You kind of just did everything and it really wasn't, you didn't really have like the jocks and yeah. the, and the separation the of social groups. The, yeah. You didn't really have that. I mean, I, my graduating class was 22 kids. So, okay. Versus, you know, four or 500 or a thousand that some schools have now. Dude, 22 kids. Are you serious? Yeah, 22. 
I think you had close to a thousand. Yeah, that's what what I'm saying. Like, so, (laughs) you know, I talked to you guys and you're like, I don't know. You graduated. You went to the same high school I did. I don't remember you. (laughs) I remember every single one of them. Most of them are as Facebook friends. still. That's crazy. Okay. So then you graduate and you said that's kind of when you started stepping into some more of the mask and ego and trying to figure out. Because in a way I was on my own. You know, and I, some of the things that a lot of kids may have learned in high school, sophomore, junior, senior year, I'm 18 and now experiencing for the first time experiencing those things. Okay. So I got to go back a little bit though, because, so you are from Delaware Mm -hmm. and when did you move to Utah? 1990. So what year were you in school? I was a freshman. It was halfway through what we considered my freshman. So, so year. dude, how was that experience going? Oh, from? that was a the culture shock. Yeah. Oh, so so yeah, this is a good question because maybe this is where the mask comes in because I moved from a Wilmington, Delaware, Newcastle, Delaware, where you know there's a smorgasbord of people. Yeah. And all different colors, races, cultures, yeah, everything. Yeah. Everything but Samoans or Polynesians. Well, because it's colder up there. Polys don't like to go. Well, it's colder. <laughs> well, I don't know. But that was because when I saw first saw a Polynesian person, I was like, oh, he's that's a big ass dude, man. He's half black, half white dude. And I'm, they're like, oh, you thought black? A lot of people think that they're like Mexicans, like they're bigger no, versions no. like Hispanics. No, no, <laughs> no. And so then that's when someone educated me on that. I'm like, they're like, yeah, like Hawaiian, like Fiji, Samoa. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. That w- that would be the only person I didn't experience growing up. We're we're all off topic, anyways. Um, so you come from a place where there's a smorgasbord of people. You know, nobody gives a damn. Yeah, <laughs> who you are, what you're doing, just get stay out of their way. You're either cool or you're not cool with them, and chances are. It wasn't because of your race or your religion or anything like that, that, you know, that's just how you roll out there. Yeah. Um, you come here and, you know, now, now you're the only black person. Me and my sister were the only two black kids in our school. A lot of the places you go, you're the only one or one of two or three black people in this sea of white people or whatever. Yeah. You know, that's an experience in and of itself. And you do learn quickly to guard yourself um, emotionally because you hear comments, things were said, not it, not, you know, someone trying to be rude or, you know, be obnoxious, but more but just, ignorant, just more ignorant comments. And so you, you, I had to learn how to ignore that to a degree. You know what I mean? Like if someone kept saying, it's like, look, dude, you got to (laughs) talk. But if it was a one-off comment, you could be like, okay, I'm not even going to get mad at you because you, you don't know. Yeah. You know, and I can tell, I know who you are. I can tell that this was not an intentional offense, you know? And granted, there were some people who were very intentional about being offensive Mm -hmm. just to see if they could get a reaction. So I think that's where I learned to be quiet. Like you were saying, um, you know, go out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just watching people. Who's here? Who's over there? Who's over there? And who's over there? What's the energy like? Okay. Well, I'll go stand in this corner because I like the energy more in this corner. And then I'll watch the other people the people in the other corner just to make sure that they're not (laughs) acting up in a sense. You know what I mean? So did you, so did that become a mask for you? Race, did race become a mask? Did you kind of embrace that? Or was that something that it was kind of like, Oh man, I really wish I didn't feel so different. Both. It depends on where you are and who you were with, Mm. where if it was to my advantage to I hate to say it this way, play that card, then of course you're going to play the card. But if it were not to my advantage or maybe looked at as a liability, then yeah, you start to, when you're young like that, you start to act different ways to try and prove to everybody, Hey, I'm not, I'm not who you think I am. 
You don't even know my background. Let me prove to you that I'm different. I'm this. I'm that. I know more than you. I can do things better than you. Mm-hmm. You have no clue. You know what I mean? And and that does show up. So that's a great. That, this is stuff I haven't thought about in years, even though it still plays out today. Yes. Yeah, so, like yeah, so like in, so when we talked about in the last season, as far as if you are in a position of, of, uh, of constant comparison yes. or within comparison, then you're in an ego state uh, and, perspective, and, right? Yes. And I, I struggle with that, the comparison. Yeah. That's something I've always struggled with, but you know what? I've never, I've never connected that it could have stemmed from the culture shock. And then just growing up when you, when you I'm used to it now, but it's still a thing when you walk in the room and you know, you're the only one, you know, eyes are on you. Mm -hmm. And so you are seeing how you measure up. Yeah. Knowing that to some degree you could be disadvantaged just simply because of the way you look that you're different than that 99 other people in the room. And see, it's interesting because for me, it was the opposite. I wanted to be different. I wanted to look different where I looked like everybody else. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I, I grew up kind of within two different worlds and I'll share a little bit more in detail, but I've already kind of shared a little bit of this. You know, if you, have seen me. I look white as, I mean, people say, I, you know, yeah, see we, my you. Irish roots or, <laughs> you know, or I look like Middle Eastern, like Russian or Czechoslovakian or something I like that. that. I can you see know, that. So people have always said that and I'm like, no, I'm Mexican, you know, and, and to the point that I would even tell people that oh, I'm full-blooded Mexican and I have to go into this whole big old spiel talking about how, you know, I just like my, like my mom's side of the family. I would never disclose that my biological father was not the father that I grew up with because my father I grew up with was this tall, dark Mexican. And so I'd always just explain and try to, you you never know what DNA pops out just randomly, you know? And so that for me, part of my ego mass growing up was like, I wanted people to know that I was different. And then I didn't fit in, in their cultural ways. So it's kind of interesting, the dynamics of yeah, and you I know. and I, it, the way you just put that, I always wanted to people. I always wanted people to know, hey, look, I'm not. Though I may look different, I am no different than you. Yeah, I probably know more rock and roll songs than you do. <laughs> and you, Get out of here! Who's you your would, favorite rock you band? Would, you would never. Are you seriously asking me that yeah, question? Man, yeah, yeah. I would say Def Leppard. Dude. <laughs> If I hear, I'm going to lie, that's shocking to me right now that he's like Def Leppard because, again, I've known Darnell forever. I would not guess that he's a Def Leppard fan. That's the thing. See, growing up in Utah, the neighborhood I lived in, everybody, we, I mean, we'd all go out and play football. And it was the time when Bon Jovi and Def Leppard, they were on top of the, you know, they were on their game right then, right? Their hair bands. So, yeah, we would listen. As much as we're listening to Run DMC, all of a sudden here comes here comes Troy from down the street on his bike and he's got his boombox blasting Bon Jovi <laughs> or, or Def Leppard. Or we go to his house and we're watching MTV and that's what we're watching. Like, you know, Huey Lewis in the news. I mean, this was how I grew. So I grew up in a, you know, a multicultural environment. So to move here and have it not be such. Okay. So then when you moved to Utah, how many times were you bumping Biggie or Tupac or Run DMC with the windows down versus Def Leppard? Yeah. Yeah. No. Pour some sugar on me type thing. I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't bumping pour some sugar on me. Now, now, granted, if I'm rolling in the car by myself, even to this day, I'll listen to uh, Metallica. Nice. I'll be on the treadmill and and throw on uh, Metallica One. You know, love that song. You know, just stuff like that. Even growing up in high school, the kids that you know, oh, this is a great rock song. Yeah. No, I got to know all the songs. That's too funny. Okay, so we could talk probably for days <laughs> upon some of these things. We'll, we'll come back to them, I'm sure, eventually in the future. Okay, so then. You graduate high school, you get out into college, 
and kind of what was that experience like? You said that you're experiencing things that most kids experienced at two or three years prior, but how was that? How did that kind of shape you go moving into adulthood? Yeah, I feel like I was on my own and not that sounds weird because like, where were your parents? They were right there. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of moving. It was all a blur when I think back. I was like, you know, I went to college. I didn't know you were supposed to talk to a counselor to help you map out your classes. So my freshman year, I'm just taking classes because that sounds interesting. Underwater basket weaving and yeah. High, <laughs> high five for stereos. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'll take a basketball class. I get to play basketball for an hour. And credits? Yeah, and you get school credit. I'm like, this college stuff is easy. I didn't know you're supposed to meet with a counselor and then they were going to help you with your major and all this. I didn't learn that till the second year, but by then it was too late. Yeah. You know what I mean? So just having that type of of experience, you know, just (laughs) just learning on the fly. Yeah. And then, you know, Let's see, I'm 20, finally turned 21, and I can go and hit the clubs, Papillons, yeah. Manhattan. So I'm I'm all about that life. You know, I, I you know had a job, so I had my own money. And, you know, I had my friends, and we would go out to the clubs, and you do that. Of course, you're meeting people, and you're having these experiences with women. You're having, you know, you're just having these experiences. Early 20 experiences. Yeah. We all know what those are. Yep. Yep. And so as as you're getting into this adulthood, right, and you're transforming, now you're technically an adult, you're now legal to go do these things. What was the mask? What was the persona? Who was Darnell at 21? (laughs) I guess you could say what I wanted people to think was that I had my shit together. I was, you know, hey, balling. I'm, yeah, I'm not necessarily balling because I'm like, look, I'm 21. Y'all know I'm young because I look young. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not out here. But hey, I'm doing all right. Yeah, look, you know, you come my way, you're gonna be taken care of. You know, had the car with the rims. You know, had to have the every week. I'm buying a new outfit to wear to the club. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm all yeah. about that. All about that image of. I'm on my way. I'm doing things. And that's, that's probably, I would say when my ego kicked in, cause then I'm like, well, I want to be successful because I have to be successful so I can look the part mm-hmm. so I can get the girls so I can have the house, the cars, you know, the clothes, all of that. And, and, you know, it was, it was a fake it till you make it type of mindset. So, Hey, I have a couple bucks. I'm still living with my parents. So I can, I got all kinds of extra money. I can put rims on the car. I can have the nice stereo system and have the nice clothes and front. But, you know, I didn't, there was no substance to it. Yeah. You know, and then that carries on into you meet somebody, you, you uh, end up having a child (laughs) and, you know, but I'm still caught up in that that mindset and that lifestyle that, you know, and and I'm sure we'll talk, get into deeper, deeper into this over the season, but, you know, end up getting married and still wanting to be successful because I have to, because I have to prove to everyone that I'm different. I'm not who you think I am. I'm actually better than what you think I am. And to make a long story short, didn't know how to be a husband or a father because I was too focused on, Hey, look, my role, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go make the money. You take care of the house and every single bit of my life, you know, my ego, it was all coming together nicely, you know, living in California, had a beautiful wife, beautiful daughter, just bought a new car I mean, the only thing that was missing was the house, but hey, we just moved here. So, you know, we'll find a home, you know, had just moved from Vegas. I already own a home. I got a home in Vegas that I'm renting out because I live in California because, you know, they want me here to work, you know, so I'm kind of a big deal now. And then boom, <laughs> you know, the bottom fell out. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it the bottom. It was a <laughs> The whole thing exploded. It was a Louisville slugger to the (laughs) knees. That's what it was. And yeah, literally the whole thing exploded. And it only took, 
I think three months and it, everything was gone. Job, wife, daughter, gone. And then you go through that experience of, well, who am I without, who am I without those things? I had no clue. No clue. Everything was ripped off. Every, everything I had built, the foundation. The I had mask of father, built, yeah. the mask of employee, the mask of dad. Yeah. Right. The mask of successful. Hey, I fit in with young, you know, young, gun, young, up yeah. and coming dude has his stuff. He's he's I'm on the trajectory to be some quote, be somebody. And I had no clue, no clue who I was without all that. So, so was that the moment of awakening or was that the moment that, that everything fell apart? That was and the, then there was a period after that yeah, where you yeah. still kind of. Got well, to the point of like saying, man. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's, from my observation, you have that, oh shit moment. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you spend some time clamoring because that's all it is, is clamoring to try and do anything to get all that back. You don't care. You're, you're just going to do whatever it takes to get that back, to get your identity back. Cause it feels like it was stolen from you. Mm-hmm. Even though it was a you know false identity, um, so yeah, I spent some time doing that, and then I had to come to the realization that it's not coming back. And so, and so from that three months to where everything just exploded, <clears throat> how long was that position or that transition from? Like what the hell just happened to, oh shit. Like, yeah, it probably, I, it, I feel like I'm standing here in a dark place and I don't have any clue of where I am or who I, I am. I would say, so they left in November of 07. I lost my job, was laid off. I've always worked in the real estate in- industry. So that was when the market just yeah, fell out. The whole economy. So, yeah. yeah. January 08 was laid off. So, boom, two, if you look at the little tests they make you take to to determine if you're, like, depressed and all that, I had two three, of the major things. I had three of Majors. the top five things. I remember this counselor lady was like, damn. <laughs> yeah, she was like, I don't even know how you function as an adult. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't know there was anything wrong with me other than shit's going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't know I was supposed to feel depressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, um I would say and then I ended up moving. My lease was finally up in California, so I moved to Atlanta. I had to go back home and live with my parents. You know, here I am a what? That was 2008, so here I am a What is that? 14 years so I'm a 32 year old man who just 6 months, 7 months, 9 months ago was on his way felt on top of the world yeah felt on top of the world yeah things weren't perfect but hey like i said i was on the i was on the The trajectory trajectory to where i wanted to be and here i am i'm now living with my parents (laughs) everything i own fit in my car when i drove it across the country to to go live there yeah so it's interesting because you know i've shared some snippets of my past and growing up and so forth. And, and I remember one time in our conversations, you were saying, man, I like, I don't know how you did it growing up. And I never really had any of those issues. Like you didn't have any major traumatic experiences growing up. Mm-mm. Right. And so, but life has a funny way oh, yeah, of yeah. teaching and putting us in a position where you talk about all the synchronicities of, of there comes a point in time, I think in everyone's life where, where life really says, Hey, it's time to either make a decision, like wake up. Who are you? Right. You have that question, like, who am I? And I'm not quite sure what happened or how I got here, but, but damn, I, I, I'm lost. Right. So, um, so it's interesting. And I want to point that out because for some of our listeners out there, right. When I share some of my experiences, even, you know, people that you have in your life, you've known in your life that have had very traumatic upbringings and you don't relate to that because 
well, you had a stable house, you had stable relationships mm-hmm. and stable parents, and you know, you weren't sexually abused or physically abused, right? You don't have those major things that happen, but still there comes a point in time that life happens yeah. regardless. And I, I don't, I don't think people can truly escape that people can convince themselves that they escape it, but it's because they get really good at dodging and Not avoiding. Then, I don't think you really can dodging and avoiding you're, I think it's, again, it's another mask Yeah, when you're around other people, you can pretend like, Oh yeah, yeah. My shit don't stink. Yeah. But when you get home and you're by yourself, you're curled up in a ball crying fetal position. Yeah. A mess. So yeah, absolutely. So, so ego, and I've mentioned this before, it comes into our lives as a, as a survival mechanism, a survival technique, right? And maybe for you, it was a transition of the cultural shock of going from Delaware in a very culturally eclectic neighborhood to all of a sudden kind of the shock of, oh shit, now I'm in this environment where I'm very different from everyone and and I'm kind of perceived that way. And then dealing with the ignorant comments and, and just perception now puts you in a position to where you are vulnerable. And it's like, well, man, maybe my identity needs to be questioned or is questioned. And I don't know necessarily how to react to that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, so you got to that point where everything exploded for the most part. And all of a sudden you're at this place where you're like, damn, I don't, I don't even know who I am. I thought I was going down one path and then here I am today and bam. So for me growing up was, um, a lot different. Um, and I I do want to go back and we will talk and touch base a little bit more on the religion thing in another episode, because I want to talk about that. But for me growing up, obviously I've shared a little bit of my story, but I was born, um, to a single mother who was 16 years old when she had me. Uh, she came from a very broken home that, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of support there. Um, and even today this, the, you know, there's a lot of dissension, um, and, and things within that, within the family. Um, but she decided to keep me and, you know, I was her child and my biological father, uh, took off and, um, I'll share a little bit more about meeting him later on in life and kind of getting his perspective. But from my perspective, um, parents were very shaming. His parents were very shaming, basically calling my, my mom a slut to try to trap their son. Um, you know, this was her first real relationship. They had sex one time and whoops, here comes Jeremy. Yeah. Right. So, so energetically from the, from the womb, I was getting these barrages of shame and, you know, guilt and, and just, you know, negative energy. Um, but my mom did the best that she could at 16, 17 years. Can you imagine? I mean, we have both have daughters and I can't imagine any of them being pregnant and having a child at that age. But, you know, so then I was raised from her for the first couple of years of my life. And then she met my, my father, who I call my dad. He, uh, he adopted me, uh, a few years after they got married, but they dated for a little while. They had kind of known each other and who each other were growing up, but never had any interaction and so forth. But then they met, fell in love, got married. Um, he took on the role of being a dad when, you know, I wasn't his kid, but I've never, uh, I never felt any sort of ironically with the experiences I had with him, I never felt that he looked at me any different. Mm-hmm. Like I did feel like I was his son. Um, but it was everyone else in society that always asked, why does Jeremy always look so different? Right. Because then my other siblings that, that they, my parents had together, they're like darker complected. And you met my brother, yeah, yeah. Uh, darker complected, darker features. And I just, I mean, there's certain features that we, we do have similarities, but for the most part, I just, I think it's the, the, the white of my skin versus the darker their features that people can get past. But so grew up, had a very tumultuous kind of childhood. Um, you know, I was kind of put in a position very early on to be in a very authoritative position. I remember, I remember my mom was teaching me how to change diapers for my little brother and I was like four, you know, and he had just been born. And you remember the cloth ones that you had a bobby pin? I remember I always stabbed my, my fingers with the bobby pin, you know, cause I didn't want to stab him. So doing that kind of stuff, um, 
I had a, an experience when I, where I was sexually abused when I was like five. Um, and then obviously from some physical abuse has physical abuse, uh, was very, was, was punished quite frequently and often. And again, these are some of the, I'm just going to give you the quick reader's digest version of it to get to the point of my awakening. Um, and these are topics that we'll go a little more in detail as we get through this, uh, this, this season, but had, so I had sexual abuse when I was young. I had physical abuse. Uh, I had emotional abuse. Uh, my mom, again, being young and really not knowing, and she, she, they had a lot of, I mean, she had a lot of kids. She had five kids under the age of 30. So it was, that was a lot. And, um, she, my younger brother and sister, the ones that are right younger than me, I mean, they're like 13 months apart. So literally she had just kid after kid and trying to learn on the fly. And there's no, there's no textbook on how to be a parent. Right. And from her experience and just trying to do everything. And my dad worked a lot and that's where his focus a lot was on was, was providing for the family because my mom didn't work. And, um, you know, and then he was the way he was raised. He was raised in a very physical and abusive environment too. So, right. You, you kind of just lead the trans. Yeah. Perpetual the cycle. That's a good way to put it. So then growing up, um, I remember as I was younger, I was a soccer player and, and, um, and I was, I, I only wanted to play soccer and I was a kid that developed faster and was bigger and stronger than most everyone and always looked older. And so I was really good at soccer. And so I wanted to just play soccer and my dad hated soccer. And so he's like, Come on, Hey, he kept asking me for like two or three years. Hey, do you want to play basketball and play basketball? I'm like, no, I don't want to play basketball. That looks stupid. I just want to play soccer. Right. So finally, I think like when I was 11 and 12 years old, um, he's like, he kept asking me. So finally, I was like, look, if I play basketball one season, will you stop bugging me about playing basketball? And so he's like, yeah. So then I tried basketball and I remember, I remember going to practices and then the first couple games and it was just like a local rec league, but I was actually pretty good because again, I was bigger, stronger, faster. Right. So athletically I was just more advanced than all the kids my age. And, but I fouled out like the first couple of games, I fouled out of every game because <laughs> I would just charge and blow through, get people and they'd call offensive fouls on me. And so my dad came out and he's like, Hey, you know, when you're drilling down court, cause I was all right handed and I was like, if you get in my way, I'm just going to go through you. <laughs> and all of a sudden he starts he dribbling through his legs and behind his back and all this stuff. And I was like mesmerized and I was like, Whoa. And so at that moment I was just captivated by the sport of basketball. Plus I think that too subconsciously, it was a way that I could connect with my dad. Mm-hmm. Right. He liked this. He was passionate about it. He was good at it and he wanted to teach me. And so it's like, okay, well, shit, let's do this, you know? And so, um, I too did kind of grow up in a religious household, but the religion was very, um, it was not, well, I mean, it was very controlling. It was very manipulative. It was very, um, shaming. And it was used in that regards to keep you in line, mm-hmm. right? It seems like everything my child was always to keep us in line. So, but I never, I never fully connected with it. And I never really believed in it. It was always, there was always a discord and internally with me with that, but we'll talk about that in later in a future episode. But so I really clung to basketball. So basketball became my identity. Dang. So from 12 on, I really just fell in love with basketball and I play basketball all the time. And I was basketball, this basketball, that, because that was the one point in my time, my life where all of a sudden I was a good boy, right? If I was a good, had a good game, then everyone was happy and excited, right? But when I was Jeremy the kid, I was always messing up somewhere, somehow. And yeah. I was getting in trouble for something. And, um, well, not always, but often, very often. But Jeremy, as the basketball player, all of a sudden, I was a good boy. So there's positive. So then I worked really hard and I became pretty good. And, I, you know, so I was able to, I started varsity four years in high school. Uh, I was top player in the state, top player in the country, had a lot of scholarship offers and so forth. And then, um, and so I was planning on going to go play college basketball and then I met a girl. (laughs) So, you know, then that happened. And this girl, like the very first time that I saw her swept me on my feet. We had this cosmic connection the very first time. And, um, from there, 
like we kind of fought it for the first three months and then finally we're like what what are we doing and then we finally just gave in and we fell head over heels for each other you know young puppy love and we just got super serious and so then um the first year of college i was playing at a junior college and i broke my foot so i was in a cast for a long time and we spent every day possible together and really got super close and so then at towards the end of the season like i was getting ready to to probably take a look at going somewhere else going to a, a bigger division one school and <clears throat> i knew because she she grew up very religious as well mm-hmm. um and you know she knew that i wasn't really into religion wasn't practicing it at all and didn't believe in it it was the same religion but uh she she wanted she wanted to go and kind of get this blessing from a religious perspective. And then that blessing, I basically said, you know, that she'll, she'll marry someone or find someone and marry someone that will prove themselves worthy to serve a Mormon mission. And so she kind of gave me the ultimatum, man, I was pissed. I didn't want to, because I knew what that meant. Like I'm, I had worked my whole life, right. I'm, I, that was one of those moments in life where, where it was a pivotal moment of me questioning my entire identity, my entire identity, I had built was this Jeremy that was a superstar basketball player. I dressed good and I could dance and I'm a white Mexican. So that's, so if you want to know what my masks were growing up, that's what it was. White Mexican could dance, good dresser and a basketball player like that. That's the scope of what that was. And, um, and so at that moment, I just was like, I'm, I'm literally about ready to give up on, almost all that stuff. Right. And I didn't want to, but growing up and, and kind of seeing and being in the family that I was in, um, did my parents have love for each other? I think that they did, but they fought a ton. Right. And they really were at heads and knocked heads quite a bit and stuff. And so I saw her family as kind of like this white picket fence. And I saw the chaos of my family. And again, going back to my disclaimer, there was love in my house. There was, there was love. We traveled. There were good times or good memories. It's not like I was this tortured, tormented child that lived in a little closet like Harry Potter. And like, it wasn't that. Yeah. Right. But there was, there was shit that went on traumatic shit for all of us. And so I saw her family as a white picket fence family and I was like, well, I want to be the knight in shining armor. So then I'll go ahead and do this. So I ended up going on a Mormon mission, which shocks people when you see me now and know me. (laughs) Um, But I am going on a Mormon mission and I told her, I says, look, I am only doing this for you. So, so help me if I hear, and I have a lot of friends and a lot of people that are going to be watching you. So help me if you are out on a date or go talk to any guy and I hear about it, I'm on the first place home because I am not doing this because I believe in the church. I'm only doing this for you to, to, to fulfill your little blessing thing. Right. So, so that's how much in love I was at the time. And so I went on the mission, came home, we got married 30 days after and we fought like crazy, fought like crazy for the first three months. We, again, we were young. We had no clue. So I was like 21. Yeah. Yeah. I think 21, right before I turned 22. Um, right. Cause the mission thing, you got to quickly get out and yeah. 19 to, to 21 or whatever. And, um, and so I was young. We got married 30 days after I got back from serving a two-year mission. So I was a probably weird as hell anyways and trying to still acclimate to normal life. And um, we fought like crazy. And there was a point in time where I was like, man, is this, is this, I don't think this is what I signed up for. And I had to deal with the fact that I lost all my scholarships other than the school, the junior college that I was at. So I had to come back and kind of start over with basketball. So here I am trying to go back and rebuild my past mask my past identity mm-hmm. to to move forward in my my future so there came a point in time where i'm like is this really what i signed up for and then all of a sudden surprise i'm pregnant and so you know for me in my life and my experience and having my biological father take off i'm like there's no way in hell i'm going to do that to my child yeah so then at that point in time yeah. like i'm like okay well i'm in this i might as well just make the best of it and so man i just it'll work out yeah it'll work out yeah. right and I, for that point, for the next 10, 11 years, 
I did the whole church boy thing. I, I, I did everything I possibly could to kind of mold and fit into this life that she wanted me to live and wanted me to be. And again, just like growing up, there was some good times. There was love between us, right? There was good times. We have, we have four amazing, beautiful kids, like kids, like I would not go back in time and change anything exactly. because of yeah. them. Right. And because of the, the life that I share with them. But I, I talked about in the last episode of last season, I talked about being in the zombie state, dude. I, I literally, I look back in my twenties and be like, where the hell did those years go? What was I doing during that time? It's hard for me to place, like thinking back now, it's hard for me to remember timelines of what happened during those years. I got in the state of just so much routine monotony that for me, the point of, of, of waking up was, on my 32nd birthday, I remember waking up on my birthday and saying, shit, I'm 32 years old. And there was this moment in time that morning when I sat up ready to go to work, ready to do the routine and everything. And I remember sitting there saying, I don't even know who I am anymore. I literally have no clue. Yeah. And that's, that's like you said, that's the beginning. Cause I've, I had a similar, I would drive to work. Here I am a grown ass. This is what I would tell myself. Here I am a grown ass man crying, driving to work because I felt so out of place. And that, like, there's got to be more to life than this. Yes. Yes. That's exactly the same verbiage that I use. <laughs> there's got to be more to this than, than this. <laughs> yeah. Right. I had these fascist dreams of being an NBA player or playing professional basketball or, or coaching and, and being in this. I just had this vision of life. And I'm like, where in the Sam hell did I go from this idea to over yeah, the I, opposite spectrum? How did I get here? Yeah. How did I get here? And how, how, yeah, it's so far left or right, however you want to look at it, than where I thought I'd be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there comes a point in time in all of our lives where I think you, you, you go into that crossroads, mm-hmm. right? You, or maybe it's a fork in the road. Maybe it's, maybe it's more a fork in the road than even a crossroads. Cause you don't really feel like you have a whole lot of options at that point in time, but there's this breaking point or this point where it's like, man, I don't know who I am. And this just doesn't seem like, it just seems like there's more to it. Mm-hmm. And in my experience and, and working with a lot of people and just, you know, being so passionate about hearing people's lives and stories, so many people that I've come across have had those moments of like, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that say, I still don't know who I am. And I feel like I'm just kind of floundering, going with the current of life and wherever it takes yeah, me. Yeah, I have a friend. I have a friend. You know, that that's kind of where he's at. And he's he's probably like our age. Yeah. And he's just like, dude, I feel so lost. Yeah. Yep. So the purpose of this this podcast and the purpose of this season especially is going to be talking about the 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 things that led up to that point to where you really just question your existence, right? Because it really is the existential question of like, who am I? And why am I and why am I here? <laughs> right. And and then moving forward of how through our experiences and through other people's experiences, through the knowledge that we've gained of, of getting to the point of how I think for the most part, you and I can sit there and have a very deep conversation, express who we are as individuals and as beings in a very authentic way, mm-hmm. how we got to this place and how other people can do the same through some of the processes and procedures and, and learnings that we've had in our life and through the other people that have had similar experiences and may have used different modalities or different processes. So, so, you know, this, this episode's a little bit longer than it has been in the first. And, and that's kind of probably going to be the norm for this, this season because of the great content that we're going to talk about and the deep topics. Um, so I'm super excited about it. Um, but hopefully as you were listening to this and you hear both, you know, Darnell's and my, my experience of what life was up to the point of standing there completely lost and saying, who in the hell am I? And why am I here? You can relate to in your life. And, and 
you, you could be either past that point, you could be approaching that point, or you could be at that point right now. And that's what was drawn for you to listen to this, to the podcast. And regardless of where you're at, there's always hope. There's always hope for growing into more of you. There's always hope for, for healing, for progressing and for learning and understanding more. So if you are in a position where you are lost, confused, hopeless, don't be. And please, if that's the case, again, reach out, reach out to us. You know, you can contact us through the website, through social media, but reach out to us because we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to share our experiences and so forth. And, and, you know, we're here. Um, so the next <clears throat> couple episodes we're going to talk about, we have a guest speaker that's coming up, which I'm super excited about. And, and both Darnell and myself know who she is. Um, so we're going to have another episode to kind of talk about and introduce who she is. And then we'll have her come on and share her experience. And, and she's a beautiful, beautiful soul and has had a, had them one of the most amazing transformative experiences for me in my life and really helped me kind of wake up to to things that that i had no clue about yeah so we'll talk about that next time on the next episode uh we'll talk about my experience with her and then also darnell's experience and and uh we're super excited so any final thoughts for this episode no no i mean you've covered it so i'm just excited to our conversations because the ones we have before and after uh the first season those episodes i mean we'd have some really deep Aha, some great epiphanies. Yeah. Life changing. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, wishing you all a a blessed and wonderful week. Um, again, continue to work on self discovery, um, continue to have a growth mindset and also a healing mindset. And, uh, we look forward to speaking to you next time.